We now return to Babylon 5, Third Space, on TNT. It was the middle of the Earth year 2261, the year between wars and the beginning of a new age. The Shadow War was over, but there was still a darkness waiting for us at home. President Santiago had been assassinated, and his successor, President Clark, was turning Earth into a prison camp. We'd broken away from Earth, and in retaliation, they quarantined us, trying to strangle our supply lines. We were desperate, and we couldn't afford to lose even a single supply ship. In the midst of all of this, we made contact with Third Space, and we almost didn't survive it. I only hope we never come across it again, because next time, no one's going to survive it. They are a power beyond comprehension. A hunger beyond understanding. They are anti-life itself. What do they want? To destroy all life that is not their own. They believe only they have the right to exist in the universe. That all other life forms are inferior and must be exterminated. Before things get crazy, I see. And, and what exactly would you call this? Science. You think anybody would notice if I just killed a few of them? Well, how many? I don't know, uh, ten? Oh, yeah, they don't. Six? Go for them. It's so beautiful. They thought they were opening the doorway to heaven. It's calling all of us. The door is opening. What the hell is that? Instead, they opened the gates of hell. I'm in position. Fire! Weapon time. Take them out. Earth's last line of defense is falling apart. Cover me. Embrace yourself on the world premiere of Third Space, an all-new Babylon 5 movie event, two weeks from tonight at 8 on TNT. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network at npr illinois community voices we're a group of newbies watching babylon 5 for the very first time and a group of first ones who have watched babylon 5 far too many times and we are here today to actually talk about the first babylon 5 made for tv movie third space and if you're confused because i know some of our folks on facebook were confused there's no real easy way to put this episode into chronological order but the absolute probably way to do it that is less weird is the way we're doing it right here so we are watching this after the illusion of truth and before next week atonement i'm scott and with me is justin emily blake kevin mike and nicole 
And Jesse still exists. She actually was with us a few seconds ago to do our Secret Santa, which will be a bonus episode I'll drop here. Actually, I probably already dropped. I'll probably drop it on Christmas. And she had to run for work. So Jesse's still here, folks. She'll be back. We are going to dive in to this 90-minute movie. And before we get started, just a little bit of context. And I did leave this uh, for the newbies last week. So between seasons four and seasons five, uh, Babylon 5 moved from the PTEN network over to TNT. And at that point, TNT ordered season five, as well as several TV movies. This TV movie actually dropped July of 1998. So it actually came out about midway through season five. However, it was filmed at the time of season four and... As I just said, chronologically, it does fall into season four. So as I told the newbies last week, some hairdos are a little different and a few other things are just kind of a little goofy, but this is the best place to have it. So we'll go ahead and talk about that in a moment. But before then, a reminder to please check out our social medias. We have our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We also have, if you're listening to the audio version of this, we have our YouTube, which is linked down below. And if you're watching on YouTube, we do have an audio podcast as well. Wherever you're watching, please do us a favor and hit that like, subscribe button, follow button, whatever it's called. And if you can, please, please, please leave us a review. We actually did get another review in this uh, last week, and this comes from Prodslash. Prodslash says that our podcast is a familiar comfort. They go on to say, I first started watching Babylon 5 when it first aired and brought some close friends in for the ride. After the initial run, we spread it to other friends on reruns and delighted in their discovery of such a fantastic piece of media. The reason I love this podcast and its panel is because of how familiar it is. I've had so many of these exact same conversations with so many of my close friends. Some of those friends have gone beyond the rim these days, and it's really nice to hear someone new make the same discoveries they did. Thanks for a great work and keep it coming. Thank you, Podslash. We really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for the Apple review. Uh, If you can, please also leave an Apple review. That definitely helps the show grow. And finally, a big thank you to our Patreon members, especially our Grey Council members, which are our producers who are listed down below. If you join our Patreon, you also get access to our Discord channel, which includes both a general discussion where the newbies are, and then a spoiler discussion where us first ones make fun of the newbies. It's great. It's fun. It's awesome. So you can join that Discord if you like by joining our Patreon. So we'll go ahead and now dive in to third space, and I believe Kevin has a synopsis for us. The crew of Babylon 5 discover a mysterious artifact of unknown origin in hyperspace. The artifact influences the minds of people aboard the station and endangers the lives of everyone aboard. That is more exciting, I think, than the actual movie. But let's go ahead and find out for sure. Let's go to our uh, newbies first and get their first impressions. So, Nicole, tell us what you thought about Third Space, your first impressions. Well, that was something. (laughs) I was entertained. I was a little confused part of the way through it there was some good parts you know some good one-liners some good funny things uh obviously zach was kind of the star of the episode in my mind (laughs) um but you know when it it first started and lita was doing that read on those people and she was getting those visions and then like it went right into them finding the artifact and then like the whole thing with her room and like all that stuff like I, i there was a couple parts where i was like wait is this a dream or is this real 
And then, uh, I mean, there was some funny stuff like Veer saying, oh, yeah, there was multiple women in that dream, but we won't get into that. Like, <laughs> just little funny things like that that were enjoyable. But overall, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was like, you know, it was just so... Uh, what's the word I'm trying to find? Like, when fucking Sheridan rocket manned out of the fucking ship, I was like, come on, man, really? Like, is he fucking Jesus here? What's happening? You know, like... Well... He <laughs> did die and Jesus. come back. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't like, wow, this is great. You know, if if Jesus had been ejaculated out of a giant floating space artifact, I would be so much more. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't like awesome. It was I will say some of the effects and stuff in the CGI were kind of cool. Um, some were pretty shitty, but some were pretty cool. So it was like a 50-50 mixed bag. There's the review right there. Some of it was pretty shitty. Some of it was pretty cool. The end. Okay. Emily, first impressions on Third Space. Um, I watched it. <laughs> and there were tentacles. There was quite a few tentacles. Yes, that's yeah, true. There, there was a lot of tentacles. And yeah, I can't say I hated it, but I definitely did not love it. It, yeah, it was just kind of 90 minutes of why am I watching this other than it's part of the podcast. <laughs> I will say that I, when I brought all the newbies on board, I'd never told them about the movies. I just kind of threw that in there halfway through. So I was like, oh, by the way, ha, Justin, first impressions. I mean, I guess I felt it to be pretty predictable. Like nothing that really happened in that episode kind of shocked or surprised me. Um, the second half was okay-ish. But it just felt like when they were filming this or when they were writing this, it felt like it was rushed. Like, so let's just borrow as many kind of cool tropes as we can. So we've got some 2001 over here. We've got some straight up like V'ger shit from Star Trek 1, the motion picture over here, you know, and the baddies look like Metroids. Like, it just <laughs> felt like that they kind of just borrowed from a lot of other sci-fi tropes to kind of throw this thing together. And even the ships, like the, 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 the like little scout ships that came out first and started shooting looked kind of like Vorlon ships. So it was like, just creatively, it just wasn't super appealing. I did kind of giggle at all of the, um, and even let's throw some Star Wars in there. There were a lot of the, I've got a bad feeling about this moments where it was just a few stacked on top of another and i'm like yeah yeah everybody yeah nobody's really happy with what's going on right now but i kind of guess the one thing that i liked the elevator scene with zach and lita was kind of cool i didn't mind that one at all i thought it was actually kind of sweet on his part and then finally the vorlons admitting that they made a ton of freaking mistakes over the years and like this one was one of their greatest ones so finally for them to acknowledge that they were guided by pride and thought themselves gods and kind of flew, you know, kind of had an, an Icarus moment where they kind of flew a little too close to the sun. I thought that that actually was kind of, to me, my favorite part of the entire episode. So, I mean, really, I mean, we've seen some pretty bummer episodes over the co over the course of this podcast. But of all the motherfuckers in the galaxy, this movie has to be one of the motherfuckest. <laughs> okay, and now over to our first ones. Mike, first impressions. Uh unpopular opinion i actually kind of enjoyed this movie <laughs> it had space mystery it had some pretty okay looking special effects but i mean i i don't know i just i i overall i thought it was just kind of in general very fun and uh, had some some fun uh, little guest cameo acting here and there and yeah i mean it was fairly predictable that you fished a giant ominous thing out of hyperspace and it was going to end badly but eh. 
<laughs> Kevin, first impressions. I don't dislike this. It's not super great. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the horror genre myself. I'm sure that everyone on this podcast has probably seen more horror films than me because um, I've seen so few. But, um, you know, this is definitely JMS's uh, homage to the, the horror, horror genre. And as it is, it's it's good. It's nicely placed in the, the Babylon 5 universe. But, you know, the acting is good. The CGI I thought was very good. But you know, overall, I just wasn't, I wasn't overly thrilled with it. There's some, there's some good moments. Um, you know, this one kind of suffers from, you know, who wasn't involved in the project. It's, you know, it's a shame that Jerry Doyle wasn't there. It's a shame that both Peter Jersik and Andreas Katsoulis weren't uh, part of the project. Um, this seemed to be, you know, very heavy on, you know, Jeff Conway and, and Patricia Tallman, which I did like. Um, you know, along with Sheridan, I didn't, I thought that, um, Mira Fernland was, uh, underused. Um, but you know, as, as a standalone story, it's not bad. You know, I'd, I'd probably watch it, you know, once more with the commentary track, just to have some fun with it. But that's, that's probably about the extent of it. Blake. So I remember watching when B5 made the jump over to TNT. And so it's important, you know, we're watching Third Space now where it falls kind of within a chronological order within the series. But when these aired, it was actually into season five had already started. And this actually was not the first B5 movie to air. And I mentioned that because, you know, I was kind of excited for this one at the time when it came out because it was the second one and getting into it. And I didn't really care for it all that much. I thought it honestly was kind of bad, but watching it this way back into where it fit within the series, within the narrative of season four. Uh, I do like it a little bit better. I don't think it's one of the strongest or greatest pieces of uh, Babylon 5, but I will say I do like it and had a better response to it watching it here, uh, where it kind of fits a little bit better into the season four narrative than when we were watching it back when it originally aired and we were kind of already past this point in the series. And this was a major step backwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm... My joking aside, I'm more closely aligned with Mike and Blake than everybody else. Uh, well, and Kevin too, for extent. But as I mentioned our Beyond the Rim last week, I have not watched this since it first aired in 98 because I remember watching it and not being impressed and just moving along. Part of it, I think, was because, as Blake mentioned, it aired partly through season five. I was like, oh, well, I already know what happens next because I've already seen season four. So this is a a retread and also my biggest complaint then and my biggest complaint now is this is a 45 minute episode padded out to 90 minutes and we'll we'll i mean it's already been discussed how long did sheridan float around in space in his little spacesuit that was padding lots and lots of padding and oh, there's they, more they had a cgi budget and by god they were gonna use it that's an interesting point because they filmed that with regular effects and Boxleitner talked about how tough a shoot it was because they had all kinds of technical issues. And so he was like, that was one of the hardest days that, you know, that he remembers on set because, 
you know, he was set up with wires and the whole bit. He realized that first scene that he does that he had his pants on backwards. So he had to fix those. They they got done with it and they had so many technical issues with the wiring and whatnot that they decided that there was no other way to do it other than with the, the CGI. But that was not their original intent at all. Um, and I would love to to see there would be some way to do a bonus where they would you know rough cut it or something but it's it's a shame that 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 didn't get aired because that would have been an interesting uh maybe it wouldn't have felt like padding maybe it would have looked better who knows oh it would still would have been padding even to look better but (laughs) but the other thing for me which is interesting because I've been watching along with all of the newbies and I haven't gone back to my DVDs since pre-COVID so this is the first episode I've seen since The Gathering that hasn't been remastered because the movies are owned in a different license. So they did not come out with the streaming remaster and they're not on the Blu-ray set that just dropped. So it was kind of jarring to see what B5 looked like when it's transferred to normal, you know, standard def. I was like, oh, the coloring's a little off. The lighting's off. Everything's kind of weird looking. So that was interesting for me too. But let's go ahead and dive into the discussion on the episode. And Blake, you're up first. I just want to touch on what you were just saying. And I had that same kind of reaction because I've been watching on the streaming. I've got it. Uh, the series purchased through Apple TV, which is the remastered high def versions. And watching it on a projector uh, like I was and then seeing this episode, you're absolutely right. It is kind of that jarring difference between the remasters and what this looked like. Because at first, when it first started, when I was watching it, I'm looking at the screen going, okay, if have I drank too much and it's blurry? Is the projector fucked up and it's blurry? <laughs> and, then it rem- and then it hit me. Oh, no, this damn thing's 30 goddamn years old. It's just blurry. <laughs> well, and we've got a, a couple of our newbies are watching on DVD still. So you guys probably didn't even notice it. But if you go to the streaming or you go to the Blu-ray, it is a night and day difference. It is just... Mm. We, we, we got very lucky when Max decided to uh, pay for the remaster. We got very lucky. Yeah, so I not. was going to talk about that, too, because I have watched it sometimes on DVD. And this movie looks a lot better than the television show DVD rendering. So it it, it there you can tell, especially the, especially the CGI looks a lot better than than the show to me the way that i was looking at it so uh yeah if you're if you're looking at it on on looking at the show on streaming and then you go to dvd exclusively for this movie yes i could i could see that being kind of um jarring but if you've been watching on dvd and you know non non blu-ray that just dropped like you said scott uh kind of all the way through or partially it's not going to be as jarring and you're going to see that the production value on this looks better than than the television show yeah and the last thing i'll add on all that too is one of the reasons why they filmed this sucker back in season four and dropped it almost a year later is because it took so long to render this. And that's another reason why uh, the other movie, which we'll get to later on, aired first, because this one has more special effects in it than the entire season one of the show. Now, are a lot of them used to <laughs> the best usage? Uh, we'll discuss that. But there's a lot of FX in this episode. That being said, they did not get an increased budget for this. Uh, as JMS said, at this point in season four, an episode is clocking in at a little bit under a million dollars an episode. 
and this got a little bit under $2 million. So they basically filmed two episodes as a two-parter and made it into a movie. They did not get any extra money. So they did put a lot of effort into it, for sure. Justin. Well, and I guess just kind of the question I had was how how far into season five did this drop? Because with the switch over to TNT, was this a lot of people's first experience with Babylon 5? And I was wondering how how that would have affected ratings. So here's the thing, and we'll get a little more into this when we talk season five. But season five started January of 98 on TNT, and this came out July. So it is a good part of season five and... To an extent, but keep in mind, and this is what we'll, we'll talk more about this again when we get to season five, because it'll be more relevant. There was a lot of times where the show didn't air like it was supposed to, because TNT also had a license for NBA basketball. And actually, JMS made the joke that it was supposed to come out in March, and it came out in July, and he said, I think this is B, uh, TNT giving a little gift to all the B5 fans for having to deal with NBA basketball over the springtime. There was a hiatus in season five from june 17 until october 28th so and there was only six episodes left after that hiatus so you are 16 yeah 16 episodes into season five of 22 and then this drops in the hiatus and then you wait another three months to get the last six episodes so it was definitely deep into season five gotcha mike so just to clarify, so this this movie did not have a greater budget than a standard episode? So there is some disagreement about that because the director said, yeah, we had a little bit extra money for this. And then I saw where JMS said, no, pretty much with all the all the additional contracts and all that stuff there really wasn't but the so it depends on who you ask because the if you ask the actors they're like oh yeah we got extra money for that but if you if you ask it sounds like you know jms and the producers it was like if, if it was any more it was like five dollars more it wasn't much well and they, they got an extra money because it was scaled for two episodes right so they got they as you mentioned earlier kevin they filmed this almost in a one episode window but the actors got paid for two episodes, so that's how they got extra money. I guess it's it's interesting, uh, I guess to me, because I mean, holy space battles! There were probably more more space battles in this movie than we've seen in the entire series. Uh, I mean, it started with one right out of the gate, and and then besides that, I guess I mean, I guess you could say without Peter and, and Andreas, maybe they were saving some buck by featuring uh, Jeff Conaway and pat tallman more heavily i don't know if they're lower paid than the other guys were but uh i just i I guess the thing that shocked me more than all the cgi in this was the number of uh other little guest stars that appeared in it and i mean we're not talking big names but uh you probably noticed uh, our buddy uh, william william sanderson aka deuce the scumbag was back from what season one uh and then you had the uh, uh uh let's see clyde Kusatsu, who uh, I don't expect anybody to know his name, but I'm going to call him one of those Hollywood dads that you see in practically everything, and you recognize him immediately. He was the the lead scientist on uh, the series. Uh, And then, I mean, you had the awesome star power of Don Swayze, brother of Patrick Swayze, who was the leader of the Raiders in the beginning uh, opening sequence. R.I.P. Bill. That's why he... That's why he got so many close-ups at the beginning of the episode. We also got our Raider ships back from season one, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicole? 
I had a question speaking of the like guest stars and stuff. At the very beginning, the two brothers, there was Alex. He looked familiar. Like, is he somebody that I should know or I would recognize? They are both uh, comedic actors, and you've probably seen them before in various things. I'd have to look up their their IMDb's to tell I was you. Where say, those I... those were ones I did not actually bother to look up, but I agree. Uh, I yeah, he looks you, really familiar. Yeah, I can tell you straight away they both have the one that was sick, or no, the uh, other one. I either the of them. One. The they, one that they both have the affair. Yeah, they both have about a hundred credits yeah. to their names. Oh so wow! You've absolutely, okay. seen them in something. Okay, oh, yeah. I was um, like, oh, he looks really familiar, but I couldn't place it. So, I mean, like I said, and it's the same with the lead scientist uh, right. who was played by uh, by Clyde. He's he's got, I mean, he's in everything. He's got oh, that yeah. dude's got almost three hundred credits on IMDb. So, well, and Mike was mentioning some of the other guest actors. The one we missed was uh, Sherry Belafontaine who yes. played the doctor she is actually the daughter of harry belafontaine and oh. she sounds just like him yeah i was, I was getting to <laughs> okay. it thank you <laughs> yeah she went to college with pat tallman uh, at uh, carnegie mellon university so they had known each other before and um were pretty tight but uh yeah, Pat Tolman also talked about how those two comedic actors in that scene they were they were fantastic to work with and a lot of fun. There's not many plot points in this sucker. It's, uh, it's pretty straightforward. I yeah, mean. so I mean, let's uh, uh, let's let's kind of dive into the artifact itself and what your guys' thoughts on that were and everything else around it. Like, well, that, there's there's only one A plot here, so I mean, Nicole. So. When I saw it, I thought it looked like a giant Transformers thing, by the way, which is kind of funny because I was like, what is this Optimus Prime reject Timu version looking fucking thing? Like, <laughs> I, it's like what I thought of when I saw it. Actually, um, thought it did look like a big space cross. Yeah, or like, exactly. Like, is this yeah. a crucifix? Like, what's happening here? But you you weren't wrong because it does transform at the end. It does yeah. kind of break open. Yeah. Um. But, you know... <laughs> So I obviously I'm not a sci-fi person. This is all new to me. And this is probably the only movie that I've ever watched like this. I mean, I've seen Star Wars, but it's totally different. Like this is kind of like more along the bane of, you know, inner space fighting and like, I don't know, it just seems different than anything I've ever seen before. So this is all new to me. And I like I said, I was just kind of like, all right, well, here's this creepy thing. And from the very beginning, when Lita started having like those visions and then like the whole thing with her drawing on the wall and then she was in the elevator, basically in a trance. I was like, OK, like, first of all, I just thought it was ominous looking. And then that whole thing happened and it was like controlling people or whatever. But I was just like. Is this like a common occurrence in sci-fi <laughs> stuff? Like where you just find random shit in space and it turns out to be murderous? Like, yes. I don't, I, I, much. Yeah, yeah, I felt yeah. like so like noob, like noobalicious. Like I, I was just like, I don't know what's happening, you know? <laughs> noobalicious. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Nicole, that's remember this is much what Star Trek's about. It really yeah. is. Well, I mean, even shit in space. Even yeah. one of one of Sheridan's first episodes in season two was the weird probe that came to wipe them out. So I mean, it happens in B five. I mean, yeah. One of the, I don't even remember what character said it, but one of the characters was like, "What?" Like somebody asked him, "What is that thing?" He's like, "I don't know. We found it drifting in space. Can't be good, right?" It's like, yeah. That sounds like a Zach Allen comment. Yeah, <laughs> but it was just so. I don't know. It was weird. I was just like, I just. I felt uneasy and uncomfortable from the very beginning, like when that whole thing with her feeling ill during the 
mediation with the brothers and like, I, I okay. And also too, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but she was like having visions of it in real time when they were finding it. Right. Cause I heard the guy talking on the, okay. So that, that wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they don't go into much details, but it is interesting that only, you know, some people got touched by it. Mm-hmm. And of course, Lita being the most powerful telepath on the station by a lot, she got touched first. It's interesting that Ivanova had some dreams too, knowing that she's a latent telepath. Yeah. So, And I thought about that too. I was like, I wonder if there's a connection if they were only going after telepaths, because my thought was all those other zombie people that it made, were they all latent telepaths or is it just, it controls whoever it controls, you know? Because yeah. that creepy guy was like, it calls you. And if he doesn't call you, you're not going to live. And it was just so, I, I don't know. It was, I just, I didn't, it was uneasy. I felt very uneasy. What I found weird about the creepy guy, which Mike pointed out is good old Deuce uh, from one of our favorite episodes, Grail, with the mind sucker, he just disappears. <laughs> He's like the main focal point of the zombie crowd. And then at the end, when there's a big fight, Deuce is nowhere to be found. I guess Sanderson only signed up for a few days and flew him, and I don't know. He deuced out. He deuced out. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't didn't somebody, when we talked about Grail, didn't somebody say that behind the scenes he was a huge dick? Yeah, it was uh, our good friend uh, Tom Booker told us that he was a jackass. <laughs> he did. That's right. That's right. Although, you know, Boxlander is uh, a big fan of Sanderson. They've worked together many times. So mm, it, it's okay. possible that Sanderson is different with, uh, you know, more A-list actors than the, you know, the guest stars. But yeah, I'm a, an ass kisser. Yeah. I mean, uh, you never know, though. It just depends to, like... Two people just sometimes don't get along. So. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he, I remember Tom saying that he got a little too forceful with the the kind of you know bullying scene. So, oh, that was that was Michael O'Hare. Oh, that's right. You were yeah. right. It was and Michael sorry. O'Hare pushed him against the wall a little bit more than he was supposed to. Yeah, that's right. Which we we know why. Justin, I just have a couple of comments about Lita um, in general. The first one is, I guess, watching all of this, I would have thought someone would go, hey, has anybody seen Lita around lately? Like, maybe check on the telepath? Like, this thing's coming in. It's messing with people. Has anybody talked or seen Lita? Has, you know, can we bring her over here and have her scan it to see kind of what's going on with this thing? You know, yep. and then she's she's going through all of this horrible shit being, you know, tortured by this thing. And just nobody... Nobody just notices that she's not around or even bothers to check on her <laughs> until way after, after she's gone through and done a lot of different shit that she, you know, gets in trouble for, like trying to, when she ends up passing out in front of Zach and stuff like that. But I do, I am on the Zach and Lita smashing train <laughs> bandwagon. I do, and I think that would make a really cute couple. That is actually like the scene on the elevator. I really liked. Um, I thought it was adorable. Like Zach finally unburdening his heart to her, and she has no idea whatsoever what is going on. And when he places the hand on her shoulder and she just turns and just looks at him, like it's that was a very like a few of the bright points from this movie was that was a very is very good for them. Like they both really came out and did a fantastic job in their in their respective roles and i thought i i was actually really glad that we got to see a little bit like we've heard some of lita's history but we finally get to actually see some of what happened to her like being taken to Orlan space being dropped off being picked up we didn't see them augment or anything like that but it's just kind of confirmed some of the things that we've seen happen um 
and then the fact that you know what trent or whatever is her name the the lead scientist or whatever uh-huh. just happens to know everything about lita and she's got a lot more going on in her brain that i'll get into later yeah it's i i was gonna kind of bash on the exposition that happens a lot but i also have to recognize that when this was filmed not so much when it was put out but when it was filmed this to justin your point was going to be an introduction to b5 and maybe some people are going to catch it that don't watch the show so there's a lot of exposition like here's what happened to alita that we found out in season three and blah 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 and blah 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 and here's what happened in the gathering and blah 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 and blah 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 but yeah so it's interesting emily well, since Justin pointed out, that was one thing I was wondering for the first however long was, is anyone going to talk to Lita about this? Like, hello, you have a telepath who obviously has more and more powers than they thought she had, so maybe ask, but they don't really seem to give a shit about her, unless they absolutely need her, and sometimes they wait too long. And as for the elevator scene, God, that was so painful to watch. Thank you. Like, he just kept fucking talking completely oblivious that she wasn't listening at all whatsoever in the slightest like she wasn't even comprehending where she was in like the state of the universe like she didn't know she was on b5 she didn't know she was in the elevator she probably didn't even have a clue who she was at that point and he just keeps yammering on and on and on and it just it hurt it hurt to watch mike yeah i i would have to agree a few other people thought that scene was cute i thought it was cute for about the first 15 20 seconds and then it was really <laughs> really cringy and i checked my watch several times to see how long it had been since it started uh now i i think we've kind of hit the nail on the head about the fact that nobody bothers to check with lita and you know and see what she knows but i i guess i can kind of justify that in my mind as as saying you know just just recently we were questioning whether or not lita was really considered part of the inner circle or the command structure or whatever you want to call it and maybe this is our answer that she's not really considered part of the close gang and i guess though besides that it kind of gets egregious at the point when not only did they not check with her but then they came and they found her in the middle of a blatant sabotage attempt and then they like slapped her on the wrist and were like well you're fine as long as it doesn't happen again and that was that (laughs) Nicole. Okay, so a couple Lita things. First off, wild here Lita in the elevator and flashback Lita with the gun going over the dead bodies with the fire behind her. Hot as fuck. Okay. I was like, damn, Lita, get it, girl. You look fine as hell. I was going to say, we're talking about this, like, this besides the number of space battles in this episode, this this one probably had more nightgown scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ivanova's blue nightgown does make a return. And oh my God. But oh, yeah, we that's... were all thrilled about that particular part of this. Yes, yes. It's uh, shining moment. The sweaty, sweaty bedhead Lita, I was all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> so <laughs> that besides what else I was going to say was, uh, so the elevator scene, contentious, obviously, discussion here, but I did think it was cute. <laughs> I do think it went on a little long, but it was so like... It it gave a little bit more insight to Zach, I thought. Like, it was a little character building a bit. Because we kind of suspected that he liked her and he had a crush on her. And he basically just poured his heart out to her. Was the timing off? Yes, clearly. But I really, really loved it. And I, Justin, I'm with you on that. Choo-choo, baby. All aboard the Lita and Zach train. I'm conducting. 
Dang it, let's go. Uh, you the know, Smash another, Express is yeah, underway. Another one for me to ship and judge me if you want. I don't give a shit. I love love and I love them. So I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, I just <laughs> it did go a little long though. I'll agree with Mike. I it was it was cute and I liked it, but it probably could have ended after he touched her shoulder, you know? Or before. <laughs> Preferably our, before. Our podcast trend of planes, trains, and automobiles continues yet again. Because he just didn't want her to be embarrassed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now we got to talk about how badass Zach was in this episode, right? I yeah. Mean... Yes. Well, just just consider for a moment the actor Jeff Conaway basically having to eat shit on camera for like three minutes. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's he's having to memorize all that dialogue. There is nobody to play off of because you know you know he's just talking into his hand halfway into that scene and not hearing anything come back out of it the way they film those you know and she's just having to stand there and react uh in her like trance kind of thing i mean he talked he talked about it and she was very very uh pat tallman was very complimentary of how great you know he was in that scene because it was tough to film but the the you know the commentary track talks a lot about how in different ways this was difficult to film for different reasons it's very interesting to me, but that's uh, that that seems probably the um, up until this point is the the best uh, exposition of his acting up until this point. Justin. And that's one thing that I would love to actually ask her about if we ever get a chance to talk to her was kind of if she re- if she kind of has any input into her motivation in that scene, because watching it, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Bride of Frankenstein. And just the way she kind of her mannerisms standing in the elevator and the way she kind of moved her head and her facial expressions was very Elsa Lancaster, who played the bride. So just very sharp, quick movements and stuff like that. So when I saw that, it just immediately clicked into my head that it it kind of reminded me about the Bride of Frankenstein and some interesting parallels if you dive deep enough into it because of how just she the character of the bride was didn't really have any knowledge of what was going on around her um until she saw frankenstein's monster and then that's when she reacted so even if like you know this monster is professing his love to her and wanting to be with her and then he finally reaches out and touches her and then she has a negative reaction to it so he kind of has to back off and that's when everything goes south in that movie um it just kind of drew a lot of parallels to me with that scene so it was just kind of something interesting to think about nicole it's funny because I got something totally different from that. It reminded me of Dana Barrett getting taken over by Zool in Ghostbusters. <laughs> like how she just was like floating around and just slowly looking like her mannerisms. And like, that's what it reminded me of was Ghostbusters. I, I wrote that in my notes when Ivanova was walking towards the white light and she kind of puts that, puts her arm out and she's in yeah. a robe. And I was like, there is no Susan, only Zool. Yeah, but like that whole, like the, like, and it wasn't just Delita or her, but it was like, it was like very, that's what it reminded me of. But again, yeah. I don't have as big as a frame of reference as you guys in this kind of genre. So there is no Dana, only Zool. By the way, Frozen Empire looks fucking awesome. I Hell yeah. It does. Hell it yeah. Does. They released a new post. I still have to see Afterlife. I still love Dude! Afterlife. It's so I know. good. Pack tissue and go watch it. Yeah, Damn get it. ready to cry. Get ready to cry. All right. All right. All right. That's not why, yeah, that's why. you said pack tissue. Well, well. Wow. Well, I cried, okay? <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. 13 from House does play Zool, so... Sorry about that. Oh, I, I've always liked her, yeah. Yeah, so have I. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, more about Don Swayze. <laughs> okay, what else we want to talk about? Um, the one thing I wanted to throw out is it's been mentioned that, I think Justin said that this borrowed from a lot of different sci-fi. I've said for a long time that Mass Effect borrows a lot from B5. I've now decided that Mass Effect borrows basically from this ep- this movie. And yeah. that's really where it all comes from. <laughs> I don't want to spoil oh, Mass Effect. Right. But my God... Everything in Mass Effect stems oh from third God, space. Right. Yeah. You're so right. <laughs> like they're talking about the gateways and how the Centauri didn't build them. They were there before and they just yep. rebuilt them. Oh, wow. And they just gave <laughs> them to the humans and yeah. all, you know, and oh there's my something God. lurking behind the gateways. Oh it's this is this is Mass Effect, but not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd say a good mind a good, blown. A, a good fifty percent of this type of sci-fi revolves around the premise of finding a weird thing in space that looks ominous and then poking it. Well, <laughs> and for those who haven't played Mass Effect but may have watched Picard season one, same idea. There's something lurking in space that has tentacles. Here we go. So something that that Boxleitner mentioned was that anytime one of the actors pointed out plot holes and stuff jms would always respond well i'm, I'm gonna blame that on the vorlons <laughs> and that's basically this entire movie is just blame it all on the vorlons um, yeah but i mean i i would not have i would not have gotten all those parallels with mass effect if you hadn't just pointed that out i mean it's so glaring scott i could i can't get it out of my oh mind. my god yeah it's mind-blowing one of these days, I need to go back to playing Mass Effect 1 for our YouTube again. I should I gotta do that. finish 3. I still haven't finished 3. 3 is so good. Ignore yeah. the haters. I like Never 3. Never even started it. Depends um, on the ending you get. If you get the good ending, there's only, there's only one true ending, and I will stand behind this. And it is okay. synth- it is synthesis. And I'll just leave it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Synthesis. I can get that. And, 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 no, Mass now a lot Effect of, 2 is the best. A lot of fanboys uh, hate synthesis. 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 But it is the best ending. I don't know, man, Justin. I, I love the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2. I, I love it. But the final battle in Mass Effect 3 is pretty fucking awesome. Oh, it's epic. It's epic. But just <laughs> as a game overall. Yeah, I know. Dude, I like, like if I can only go back and play one of those tr- of that trilogy. I am. Because I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring Andromeda ever existed. Um, what, what, going, wait, what? What are you talking about? I don't understand. I don't care for it. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I don't exactly. know about that one. So anyway, yes, but, um, about Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, back to B5. Mass Effect 4 is coming in like 2028. So, And it will not be a sequel to Andromeda. Okay, so anything yeah, else you guys yeah. want to talk about with I mean, Third Space? I, I just want to say, I mean, I, I, I do actually think that this was a, I don't know, I liked this movie. I thought it was by far not the worst sci-fi thing I've ever seen, and that's comparing it to movies with a much more contemporary uh cast and effects and but in a larger budget like i think it does a fairly good job if you look at it from start to finish of building mystery and building suspense and you know building up to that big climax battle at the end and and i, I thought that, yeah it's even quite memorable in my mind even if it is a little bit of a ripoff of star trek the motion picture <laughs> Well, Spock didn't take a nuke into Viger, although that would have been more and fun to watch. Avoid getting tentacle raped by a Metroid, but still, <laughs> I mean, um, 
you know, like I said, I, I, I thought overall it had a lot of like little fun twists and turns with the, the telepathic slow takeover and the rioting on the station and everything. And, you know, the character work that we got was pretty good. We got to see a lot more of Lita. We got to see a, a lot more of Zach. We got to see him really fulfill his new lead security man role, including flying around in a star fury for the first time. Emily. I thought Delin was actually was better in this, which was nice given where this was placed compared to where it was put when it was released. Because last week's episode, I'm still salty about it and how Sheridan just like fucking set her up. So like, yeah, we can do this interview and it'll be fine. Oh, I'm gonna be salty about that for a while. So it was actually nice to see Zelin closer to, I don't know, herself and giving him shit about stuff when he's like, hey, can you pick me up? And she's like, yeah, we'll get to it. I was like, yeah, leave him out there a little bit longer. He'll be fine. <laughs> he was kind of underused, nice. though. I wish I wish yeah. they had a couple more scenes with her. I mean, you can't yeah. go to her and be like, hey, what do you know about the Vorlons? And hey, what do the Minbari know? And hey, how about doing this for, you know, um, leadership role for us in, in this crisis? Like, there were other things you could have written in there for her. I mean, it, it felt like she was underused big time. I will say, though, as much as we've been complaining about no one cares about Lita, the first scene Delin's in, she's going to go check on Lita. Like, oh, shit, right. we probably should go get the telepath. Because Delin is the best. <laughs> I guess the the thing that irritates me the most is, you know, they're doing the end the end of the the movie where they're doing, like, the team power walk. And she's <laughs> off on her own, just like, all right, yeah. well, I'll just go eat shit. You guys all have fun and look like you're uh, in a... That's in she's, a Avengers movie, sure. She said it herself in the a couple episodes ago. Only people come to her when they need her. They even yeah. Zach up until the elevator scene, and well, I guess he brought her pizza, but she had to beg for the damn pizza. I mean, no one goes yeah. to this girl, and uh, you know, Franklin says it too. Can you blame him? She's been augmented. People are scared of her, but I'm not. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying they're, yeah, they're scared of her. Yeah, I kind of. That's kind of where I. I guess I was starting to go in my in my head at least when I was talking about how maybe she's not really part of the inner circle of the command staff. I do I do think probably at least the humans on board kind of have a negative connotation surrounding telepaths, a, a latent mistrust mm. of them. And why wouldn't they? Because they have Psychor and Bester yep. on the other side of the coin. Continuity-wise that I found was kind of fun, one of them being that, remember, Lita couldn't get a job for a long time because she had to be a Psychor member in order to be a, 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 a contracted telepath. Now that we're cut off from Earth, she's doing contract work again. Uh, and then also, I did like that this is the first time in a long time we've seen Narn security guards. The Narn took over security a long time ago when we were depleted on security after the little revolt. And we haven't seen that in a while, but when Zach's doing his thing, there's a Narn everywhere backing him up too. So I like that little continuity as well. On the subject of the Narn security guys, did you see the one in the fight scene that had his arm on fire and he's still fighting like, yes. what's going on? <laughs> it was like 20 seconds of him fighting with his yeah. arm on well, fire. I'm like, that's damn, pretty that, badass. Is a, he like that is a at badass it. stunt guy right <laughs> he there. He like looked at it and then decided to go punch somebody. Pretty with much. Like, yeah. like upgrade. Harukin! Harukin! <laughs> <laughs> it's like the a hurricane coming at you. I assume though that wasn't a security guard. I assume that was one of the zombies who didn't give a shit. He's like, ah, Maybe. 
for the one. Either way. But yeah, that was a badass one. We also got another uh, spin kick. It wasn't a flying spin kick, but Ivanova <laughs> definitely did a roundhouse. Yeah, she kicked ass. So did it's... so did Zach Franklin got into it. There was a yeah, lot more. A- there was a lot was more hang- scene. I mean, there was a lot more action in this than most of the episodes. And I do like how Zach kind of makes it a plot point. I've told him to do hand to hand and not kill him. So yeah, I mean, it's the Centauri that usually do the acrobatic, uh, the flying spin, flying kick. spin kicks, and yeah. That's another thing too. We we get we get a good dosage of Veer, even though we don't get a lot of the main characters. And I do love what Stephen First does here. He's just got the kind of whimsical, like, oh, uh, this is cool. A few a few people in this got a good dosage of Veer. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite. First why was, why are you hitting me? <laughs> first was I was in the elevator on the commentary track. You guys should check it out. <laughs> Justin, I mean, Delenn was great in this episode. I really can it's It really is a struggle for me to find out any like scene that she's not great in because Mia Farlong is just such a fantastic actress. But I do have to admit, I'm I'm starting to get over the Sheridan Messiah complex. Like he has to be the one to fix everything. He has to be the one to save the day, and it's like, and it just kind of kind of got on my nerves when I was watching, especially him flying through the whole scene. And, oh, this is something that I can only take care of by myself. And no one else can fly through this space and plan a nuke on it. Like, I'm sure there's probably quite a few people who could have done it. But it just, over the last, like, this this past season especially, like, with the closing the end of the end of the Shadow War, I don't know. It's the whole Messiah thing with Sheridan's kind of getting on my nerves. Damn. Speaking of Sheridan, I'm usually not a nitpicker like this, but... They had to use the entire fleet to give him a little bit of an opening to get through the force field. And then when he's done planning the nuke, he just flies out. He's like, I'm clear. I'm like, um, the force field's still up. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know. <laughs> Peace I mean, out, guys. I'm out. And and the shockwave was destroying a bunch of the ships outside. <laughs> and but, just pushed him. He was fine. He's fine. He's, he's fine. He's absolutely irradiated after that, too. But he's fine. <laughs> Anything else, guys, about third space? motion to adjourn. More like turd space, am I right? Wah, wah, wah. Okay. <laughs> for those of you just joining us for the first time, I don't know why you're joining us on third space, but welcome. Uh, we do ask our newbies if they have any lingering questions or any predictions that may come. And I know this one's a little weird, guys, because as we've already told you contextually, this was filmed a, lot to, a long time after uh, several episodes that we haven't seen has have come out. But if you do have any predictions... Uh, let us know. So let's go to Justin first. Questions and predictions. All right. I mean, question one, and I kind of feel like I know the answer to it, but do we actually see some of these things again? Whatever this total ancient evil that even the Vorlons were scared shitless by, do we ever see them again or are they gone forever? I kind of have the feeling that, no, we're not going to see them again, but I don't know for sure. Um yeah, what I'm curious to know what other info Trent was holding back. Because even before all of this stuff happened, even Sheridan called her out, and she even admitted towards the end of the episode that she was holding stuff back for a reason. So I'm kind of curious to know what that reason was. And was she maybe working for Clark after all? Was she just lying to him the whole time? They found out about the possibility of this weapon, and she got all jonesed out about how this could be an extremely powerful weapon. Was she sent by the Clark administration in order to secure this device and use it against the alien races? She does kind of answer that when she's talking to Bill Marishi, the head head scientist, after she talks to Sheridan. She kind of lays some of that out and says, 
well, yeah, it could be a, a weapon. It could be, you know, it could be, um, you know, instantaneous hyperspace travel. Um, yeah, the commercial and military application. Yeah, she talks. Endless. She I, talks I about what she was hiding. You know, part of it was conjecture, part. and part of it was, you know, what she had already deduced. I will Maybe say I it's catch it. I will say it's interesting that we know IPX. IPX has been around for a while. They were the the group that found the infection uh artifact and like the second or third episode of the show and sheridan's the, wife worked for them too which was a call which was called out in this episode yeah. as well he said his wife worked for ipx it's interesting that remember our isn friend we talked about this last week he didn't mention the shadow war at all but trent shows up and says yeah Vorlons and shadows just duked it out so ipx seems to know more than most which is interesting right. and that makes me sus as hell but, I'm not going to um, answer the rest of your questions, but I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> um, she did, she yeah, did because, also point out that like IPX had beacons or survey probes or whatever, informant, like, but, like but also informants. Like yeah, informants and they've been following. Too. They've been following Lita since she went to Vorlon. Yeah, yeah. So they're lo- engaging a lot more shady shit than I think a lot of people realized at the time. But I mean, Illusion of Truth taught us not to trust any of these fuckers who come from Earth and be like, oh, we're okay. We can come through. Yeah. Yeah. I don't trust any of them. But, um, and then just the only prediction I have is I, I would not be shocked if we see Trent again at some point because even she even admitted she has nothing to go back to. Basically, this has ruined her career. She doesn't know, even know if she wants to be in this kind of job anymore. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see her back on the station at some point. Okay. Emily, questions and predictions. My only question is why? Seriously, just <laughs> why? That's all I got. I don't really have predictions because I'm not even sure this was supposed to fit, how this was even supposed to fit in, if it does at all. So, yeah, I got nothing. Well, thank you for that yeah, philosophical question. Yeah, I checked out thanks to this one. I was just you like, can send your hate mail and tell Emily she belongs in the kitchen by sending emails to gray17podcast at gmail.com. And for those who just haven't heard that before, we have a fan who thinks Emily should be in the kitchen. I don't build that way. Just me or me, Jesse, and Nicole? It was directed straight at you that time. Aww. Yeah, yeah. Nicole's more likable. Well, well little, little do they know, I don't cook, so fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, the- sound alike. <laughs> oh, shit. On that note, Nicole, questions, predictions. I guess my only question is, will Lita eventually remember or or know what Zach said to her? Or is he going to try again? Or is that ship sailed? And that's really my only question. It always comes back to the shipping with you, Nicole. Always. Yep. All right, we'll go ahead and end our discussion with our newbies there. For those of you who have not watched past, well, The Illusion of Truth or Third Space, uh, you can leave us after the credits. And for those of you who do want to hear us answer these questions and predictions, you can stick around after the credits for our Beyond the Rim spoiler section. Next week, we're going to deal with the episode Atonement, and we'll see just how many of our newbies' heads explode while watching Atonement. There's a... There's some interesting revelations coming, my friends. Interesting revelations. Hence and I will leave it at this. I'll bet. Yes. Somebody will be atoning for something. Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. They done fucked up. So we'll, we'll talk about that episode next week. And this episode is dropping just a few days after Christmas. So happy holidays to everyone. Thank you so much. I mentioned this to our 
uh, folks on our spoiler discord, uh, our Patreon members today, it just astonishes me that you guys over the past year and a half now have led us into your lives and been a part of this uh, crazy little family that we've put together here. So thank you so much. We're really looking forward to the new year where we will end this conversation about Babylon 5 later on in 2024. So uh the uh we're we're over the hill and coming on down so we'll see what happens but until next week when we talk about atonement i'm scott and with me has been this is justin emily blake kevin blake and nicole don't forget to like subscribe follow and leave us a review and join us on all the social medias down below oh and also uh this is dropping on the 27th you still have three days to no- donate to our Afterlife campaign to help Children's Miracle Network. So if you can help us get just a few more dollars in there before it closes out, close out on December 31, uh, that'd be great. So that link is in the description as well. Okay, have a good one. Bye, newbies. Bye. Bye. Yeah. All right, it's way past my bedtime. I got to go. Night-night. Bye. Night. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. This is the spoiler section, so if you don't know what happens after this part, it's really hard to say after Third Space because it's weird. If you don't know what happens after Illusion of Truth in Season 4, you should check out now because we will be talking spoilers, I guess, kind of. And you should join us back when we talk about Atonement next week. But for all the rest of you, we're going to dive in. Guys, the one thing I wanted to bring up before... Uh, we talk about questions and predictions, and this is just a little bit of meta stuff that doesn't really matter, but it's interesting. And that is because of the contract dispute that had Claudia Christian leaving us before season five and the way this was produced, this is technically the last production that Claudia was a part of with Babylon 5 all the way up until last year when she did her voice work for The Road Home. So it doesn't feel like it, and we will get her back in Sleeping in Light in season five that was filmed before this, but this is Claudia's last hurrah on production, which is interesting. So let's go ahead and dive into our questions. We don't have too many, which is not surprising. First question, do we see the third space aliens again? Nope. No, and Justin's finally getting it. (laughs) (laughs) I said I doubt it. It, there, There is like a dropped little piece that Delenn says in season five about opening crazy gateways and stuff. So that gets referenced kind of, but that's really about it. There was a question for JMS when this came out, because at this point in July of 1998, it had already been announced that crusade was coming. And the big question when third space dropped was, was this a pilot or backdoor pilot for crusade? JMS said, absolutely not. 
But then we find out, you know, another made-for-TV movie that comes later called Arms is absolutely a backdoor pilot for Crusade. So, yeah, people were in the right direction, just wrong movie. Next up, what other info was Trent holding back? And was she working for Clark? Kevin, I think you covered what info she was holding back. IPX just wants to get weapons. And we know that Clark wants to get weapons, too. And we will find out just what he does with that tech later on when we deal with the Civil War. But um, I'm not aware of anything else. If I had to guess, I would say no. Um, I don't know that she has any other dark motive other than just wanting to keep a lot of a lot of it to herself because she wanted the glory. But that's just a guess. Yeah, that was my thought too. Is it, I don't even know that it has anything specific to do with weapons. It's just you know she's an archaeologist or a researcher, and she wants to put her name on the next big thing for you know a more more immortalization. Mm-hmm. She didn't seem evil to me. She just seemed ambitious. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and she didn't even, seem evil until she shot that guy. Well, but that was zombie Trent. Right. Although we never actually get confirmation. Yeah, was it that she was zombified? Do we? Yeah, no. I, I, I think she was. I mean, she seemed like she was generally kind of fond of that other, um, other doctor, and she seemed pretty mortified that she had killed him. But again, I'm just guessing. No, I, I, I think you're probably right. It's just, it's interesting that she's not, she's. We don't see her change in the couple other times that there are like flashes of people getting taken over. It's right. just that one time. IPX is definitely dabbling in bad shit and they are definitely helping Clark. But yeah, I think she's just an ambitious scientist who doesn't even want a quest for power. She just wants to advance society and be a part of that advancement. So will Lita remember what Zach said? I'm guessing not. No. Yeah. From the context of the rest of season four and uh, beginning of season five, it doesn't seem like it. This is actually the one piece of continuity from Third Space that carries over, whether it was meant to or not. Is Zach will be forever awkward around Lita from now on. Mm-hmm. He won't. He won't make. He he shot his shot and thought he failed, and he will just be kind of hesitant around her from now on. Of oh, course, to be fair, he's awkward most of the time anyway true and we do you know if i remember right we do see him get a little jealous when she's with byron yes very much so Mm -hmm. and then we get to the metaphysical question on everyone's mind why why third space we don't know blake do you know why the search for more money (laughs) nice I'm still waiting for Spaceballs 2. Somebody thought they were going to sell some third space DVDs, I guess. Yeah. Well, I I need to go back and look into this a little bit more. But from my understanding, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Feel free to throw it in the comments. But part of this was TNT absolutely thought they had bought a franchise that would have staying power. Mm-hmm. And because of that they did dump more money into it to try to keep it going and try to get people enticed. They had season five, but they also knew they needed to get people to understand what B5 was who haven't seen it before, which is why we got in the beginning, which does air before season five. Uh, but also I think this is, they, these movies are here to try to get people who may not watch the series to watch a movie of the week. And of course, what we find out is by the time Crusade goes into production, TNT has already realized it's not working for them. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about it. But uh, I think that's really what this truly is, is they, uh, TNT 
really did want B5 to become something more than what it was, and they tried. Unfortunately, what they got wasn't conducive to the audience that they had who wanted to watch wrestling. So B5 was never a good fit for TNT. They didn't have the built-in audience for it. Yep. And they had nothing else on the network to surround it with either. Mm-hmm. There's to say because there was no other shows either leading in or coming out of it that would have kept that audience there. It just wasn't a fit. I mean, at the mm-hmm. time, Sci-Fi Channel was huge. Why this didn't get marketed to somewhere like the Sci-Fi Channel, which I, I think could have fit this a lot nicer in the schedule. I, I'm guessing TNT. I I really do think, and you're completely right, Blake. I think this was TNT's try to expand their audience because what JMS explains in his autobiography is they had hoped that they would draw a new audience in, but what they found out and why they decided to kill the show, kill Crusade, was that they were recognizing that the B5 audience came in, watched B5, and left when wrestling started. And the wrestling audience didn't come in for B5 and dropped in when wrestling started. So there are two audiences where, to your point, were not mingling. They were not sticking around. So they were paying for the same audience share, just having different people in each of those shares. So it makes no sense to them uh, in terms of that. But I think the reason why, and I don't know if sci-fi ever made a play or not, but I think TNT was desperately trying to expand their audience to something else. I remember back when I was a kid that TNT was the place where you went to watch late night uh, marathons of the Outer Limits. They had the license to that. So this is not their first dabble into sci-fi, well, and, but and you're right. Is, well, and they were trying to dab- to dabble into the whole TV movie thing because Alien Nation had started doing mm. that by this point. You know, and they were having a little bit of success with that too. It didn't seem like they were they were trying to have a Star Trek, you know, theatrical movie franchise, but they thought that having a TV movie franchise would be good for their audience. But it's unfortunate. But as you point out, it just did not work out for them. Which, well, by the way, kids, if you haven't watched The Outer Limits, go back and watch that show from the sixties. It was really and, good. And this is and this is what I was going to say about this, and I could be completely off base, but it, in my recollection about this period of time um it didn't seem like these cable networks like tnt tbs hell even sci-fi and comedy central it didn't seem like they had a whole hell of a lot of original programming yeah at that point in time it was a lot of like those were the networks where things went to be syndicated um so the fact that tnt picked up v5 to produce a new season of it to me being seems like it was probably relatively rare or one of the early cases of that kind of thing happening sci-fi at this point was actually producing original content pretty regularly really okay i can't think of a single other thing besides maybe the early the the seasons of mystery science theater no that was comedy Uh, central sci-fi at this point was producing farscape uh they had at this time yeah i thought farscape came later could be okay Boy, I might be way off base because I'm thinking Farscape to started Farscape, in '99. I'm thinking to myself that Farscape looked a hell of a lot better than P5 did. Farscape so, was '99. Yeah, '99. I mean, this... But around '98, '99, so still that same period where yeah. sci-fi was kicking into original production and starting to anyway, but probably a race to some of that stuff like there was with uh, streaming. You know, uh, yeah, race to start original programming for. I guess, I guess that's what I'm thinking too. is. Is that this was on the on the the on the early wave of of new content being created by these other networks? At, at yeah, the I, I'm looking at sci-fi productions right now to see how early um, they had. Welcome to Paradox, 1998. Uh, Mystery Science Theater was 97 through 98, nine. Okay. And then 
Yeah, it it looks like their first yeah, they their first their first real produced show drama wise it looks like uh, Mission Genesis was a space opera in '97, and then they took over Sliders seasons four and season five in 1998. So around the same time, first wave, uh, first wave, mm -hmm. and Farscape is probably more of a response to UPN than it is Sci-Fi Channel. Mm. because yeah, be. upn had uh marker it had voyager it 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 had start uh nowhere man so it had some mantis. original content mantis time tracks was syndicated i think it wasn't to you that was ptn yeah and, it got canceled when ptn died like babylon 5 was gonna get canceled so okay and i mean you also have to realize too this is probably a relatively uh, you know nowadays it seems like a, a show dying on one network and transitioning to a different platform is like not i would still argue it's not common but it happens more often now than it probably ever did back then and clearly the challenges of switching from one network to another where you can't just go and play the first four episodes or four seasons worth of episodes that you missed is it's pretty pretty huge mm -hmm. it's actually almost surprising that tnt would have been willing to try well and as we, i mean jms and the production team didn't think it was going to happen which is why we have season four sped up and they filmed a finale for season the series was season four because they thought it was dead which is if you want to see a a fun little video i've seen clips of it before where he announces at a con convention that tnt picked it up the audience went freaking crazy. If I remember right, that's a video where he actually steps on a table and is surrounded by fans as he announces that there will be a season five. So it was definitely not heard of very much for sure. Okay, I think we've delved into <laughs> TV production news enough. We have one prediction from Justin. Trent will return. Nope. No. Think, didn't think the third space aliens would be back. <laughs> But he thought Trent would get but back. But he thought that one character from that one thing. Mm -hmm. Trent is going to be back and be part of Bureau 13. Yes. I could have seen, you know, I will give him this. If Crusade had gone longer, I could absolutely see a, a tie-in with IPX. And then you could absolutely see some people return. Um, so I wouldn't doubt if there was a plan for it. But since Crusade died in childbirth, I mean, that's yeah. about it. Or at least a post-it note somewhere that said maybe. Yeah. I mean, and she was a, she, she is a big name. She's... yeah. I mean, Bella Fontaine, she's still out there and she's still doing stuff. And that's a name, especially in the 90s. Um, I mean, yeah, joking aside, you know, I was kind of picking on some of the guest actors. But if you look at it, I mean, there there are a fair number of semi-noteworthy extra cast members added to this production. So I still want to know why William Sanderson just like noped out halfway through the movie. He's just I gone. I don't know why he was in it at all. <laughs> He owed somebody a favor. <laughs> I mean, really, like the other guys at least had a point. Like he, his character could have literally been anyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there for our discussion of the first of several movies we'll be talking about. I know The Gathering is technically a movie, but it was the pilot. So the next one we will talk about will be In the Beginning. And for those wondering, we are going to do In the Beginning right after season four because there is some revelations about londo and stuff that don't come until the end of season four so we'll watch in the beginning between our season four recap and the start of season five but next week we have atonement which i'm really looking forward to because uh, i know many of us myself included have been pointing out that delin hasn't had much to do and this is obviously going to be a delin heavy episode and we get the revelation that delin cause the war to happen i'm interested to see how the newbies feel about that it's gonna blow their mind i think I, I i hope so i hope so so until then 
I've been Scott, and with me has been Blake, Kevin, and Mike. A reminder again to click all the links down below, and we will see you next week. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Well, maybe it was for the best. Three dates, I probably would have married her. <laughs>